If you would, take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This morning, I don't know how many places you'd ever hear a message like this on Sunday morning. In fact, I don't even know how many places you'd ever hear a message like this. But it's in the Bible. And uh, it's uh, supposed to be part of church life. I thought the song is kind of fitting. You know, Paul said, talk, wrote Timothy, and he said that we need to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning we're looking at church discipline. First Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to have to read the, the, the entire chapter. It says, it is reported commonly... There is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you, among you. For I verily, verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not the little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you an epistle, not to, keep, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or a covetous, or an adulterer, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So the title of the, simply the message this morning is Discipline in a New Testament Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. I pray, Father, that as we look into the Word of God today, that we would uh, just quiet our hearts before you and listen and consider and realize the truth and the importance of this passage of Scripture and others like it in the Word of God that is uh, effectual and profitable uh, in the life of a church. So, Lord, just have your will and may you be glorified and may we be strengthened in our walk with you and our resolve uh, to be faithful for you, to you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church discipline is a much-neglected practice in our day, but it is essential for an effectual testimony of Christ to the world uh, because saved people do sin. That's, that's, that shouldn't be a, a news bulletin to anybody. Saved people do sin. I mean, if you read your Bible, you're going to find 
very quickly that safe people do sin. Noah, a man that walked with God, got drunk after coming out of the ark. Abraham, a man that was called the friend of God, lied about his wife Sarah. Jacob, who was later called Israel, a prince with God, was a conniving trickster. Samson, whom the Spirit of the Lord came upon mightily, and who's written of in the Hebrews chapter 11, went to a harlot. David was guilty, a man after God's own heart, was guilty of covetousness, that, by the way, that preceded his adultery, covetousness. That's what led to his adultery. Covetousness, adultery, and murder. Moses killed a man. See, a saved person does not cease to be a child of God when they sin. They become disobedient and out of fellowship with God. You know, even Abraham was rebuked by Pharaoh. Think about that. He was rebuked by Pharaoh. You know, sometimes the world rebukes Christians because the world knows better. See, even Pharaoh knew he wasn't supposed to lie about his wife. Uh, No, they become disobedient out of fellowship with God. And when a church member just persists in their sin, discipline is necessary. In fact, it is really a mark of of love for an erring brother. And a true... Te- you know, it, is, it is God's methods of correction. You know, a lack of church discipline is evidence of following, as we saw earlier in this book, it's an evidence of following man's judgment or leaning to our own understanding. And as I said, church discipline, you, you, you listen to preachers, and church discipline is not, not practiced much today, and many times where it is practiced is not practiced biblically. Um, I, I remember one past, uh, it was a friend of mine, the way he exercised church discipline, he just got up in front of the people and told the person to leave. Of course, he didn't even believe in church membership. So how do you discipline somebody if they're not a member of your church? I guess that's how you do it. You just tell them to leave. Uh, I said, I can't tell anybody to leave. They were voted in by the church membership. They have to be voted out by the church membership. You know. Um, and church discipline should be exercised in the same way that you would discipline your children. Not because you're mad at them. You may be angry at their sin, but you know you ought to do it with with uh, with grief, as he tells them here. They should have mourned over this. So anyway, I'm going to look at notice three things here this morning, and then I have some sub points. First of all, the practice of church discipline. I'm going to try and take our time this morning and, and look at this from a biblical perspective. The practice of church discipline. Uh, church discipline is a church issue. Now, when I say a church issue, and I'm going to try to quit saying local church because that's the only church there is. 
It's local. Church discipline is a church issue. Notice verse 1, verse 2, and verse 13. It is recorded commonly that there is fornication, notice these two words, among you. Among you. And then again in verse 2, And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done his deed might be taken away from among you. Verse 13, With them that are without, God judgeth, talking about those outside the church, that's the world, therefore put them away from among yourselves, that wicked person. This was a member of the church at Corinth. And this is a, it is a, in church discipline, it is a church issue. You know, Paul, of course, is an apostle. He had authority that I do not have. You know, he had authority over the churches because he was still writing the scriptures. He was still being used to depend the scriptures. So he was giving them authoritative instruction of the word of God. You know, we already have the authoritative word of God. Uh, so, you know, he had authority over churches. You know, pastors only have authority in their own church. But, but here we see that he's saying this is a problem or this is an issue that you need to deal with. It's your responsibility. It is your issue. In verses 4 and 5, he instructs them that they need to take care of the issue. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye, notice, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So you need, you, he instructs them that ye need to take care of this issue. This was an incestuous relationship one had with his father's wife. And it was reported commonly. Now, it's believed that uh, Clo, the house of Clo, who evidently came to see Paul or maybe brought, uh, uh, came along with questions about certain things, reported this to him. But it was, it was said that it was reported commonly. In other words, it was reported about everywhere or altogether or simply everybody around knew it. It wasn't a secret. Everybody knew it. Not just in the church. And this, this, this sin was even one that was not practiced or was looked down upon among the Gentiles. In verse 1 it says, It reported commonly that there is fornication among you, such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Uh, one commentator said the ancient Roman writer and statesman Caesarea said this type of incest was an incredible crime and practically unheard of, and not even named among the Gentiles. And, of course, we know that from the Scriptures that this was declared a sin. Leviticus 18.8 says, The nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. It is thy father's nakedness. Deuteronomy 22.30, A man shall not take his father's wife, nor discover his father's skirt. And then again, Deuteronomy 27.20, Cursed be he that lieth with his father's wife, because he uncovereth his father's skirt. And all the people shall say, Amen. So this was a, this was a the, the sin that was being uh, allowed in the church at Corinth that even the Gentiles did not do or looked down upon or considered it, it wrong or a crime against humanity, and yet they were doing it. And Paul said, look, ye need to deal with it. You need to take care of this issue. It is your issue. And church discipline is a church issue. 
Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Your church discipline is taught in various places in the Bible. And here in 2 Thessalonians, there's another instance where it is taught uh, in one of Paul's letters to the church at Thessalonica. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we have not ourselves or disorderly among you, neither do we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Drop down to verse 14. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. And so again, he's, he's saying to the, you know, this, this, the, the situation here in the church of Thessalonica was, it seems evident that due to the teaching of the second coming of Christ, and Paul referred to it as his soon coming, that some thought, you know, well, he's coming soon, so uh, why work? Why just not wait? You know, we have people that kind of go off the deep end and do that kind of stuff today, you know, around uh, um, uh, when, when Y2K, when we went from the 1900s to the 2000s, you know, there were, there were preppers and, and some people that they stored up food or, or they went off somewhere waiting for the Lord to come because the Lord was going to come, you know, and so they quit their jobs and whatever and they just just waited. Evidently, that's what these, some of these people were doing. And so Paul says, look, if you walk with disorderly, you're, you need, if there's someone that's walking disorderly and working not at all, you need to withdraw yourself. Uh, you know, verse 10 is, is informative here in this situation. For even when we were with you, this we command you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Welfare is not sanctioned by the word of God. It's considered stealing. And he tells them further, if they would persist in this, if they obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. So, and yet count him not an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So they are, again, they are to deal with this, these people if they were not to get to work and earn their own way. You know, we're to earn our, we're to make a living to live and to give. And and it was a church's responsibility to deal with this issue. Uh, It was not a world issue. You know, this, this is, this teaching is to separate from the company within, not the company without. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 5 again. Uh, you know, some, and this is, this is, this is uh, one of the confusing things when uh, the fundamentalist movement, you know, they had you separating from these people over here in another church and this people over here in another church, you know, and you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't even eat with somebody that was uh, at, outside your church 
and yet had a, maybe, maybe had a different belief because they taught false doctrine. No, separation in the Bible has to do with in the church, the local church, and only the local church. Uh, and I, when, I, when I learned that truth, it was so freeing to me that I quit worrying about uh, what everybody else out there is doing. I just worry about what's going on here. You know, I used to have this idea that, uh, you know, if I went into a restaurant and, or I couldn't eat breakfast or I couldn't eat, couldn't eat lunch with, uh, uh, let's say, a Presbyterian preacher, what's wrong with that? He's not in my church. It's not my church. I mean, he, from, what, from what we believe the Bible teaches, he's teaching false doctrine. But he's not in my church. So this has nothing to do with him. It only has to do with those within our church. Those within our church. Let's, let's look here. Verses 9 through 13. I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators. Okay, so evidently Paul had wrote a letter earlier, but it wasn't, it wasn't a... Uh, something that was inspired, that wasn't kept for us, recorded for us, you know, in the Bible. But he evidently said in that letter that they weren't supposed to keep company with fornicators. But that now he's clarifying that. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. So if you're going to not keep company, or have anything to do with, or have any association with fornicators, period, you're going to have to leave the world because you ain't going to be able to have any company with hardly anybody. You aren't going to be able to buy food at Food Lion or Walmart. You know, I had a guy, there's a fellow I used to work with who had this philosophy. And he wouldn't go. There was a certain garage man. He was a good mechanic in Allensville that I took my cars to. He didn't even want to pick me up there. Because he said the guy's divorced. <laughs> I just laughed at him. And I was told later he's not divorced. You know, I don't know whether he was or not. I said, I don't care. He's a good mechanic. <laughs> What's that have to do with anything anyway? You know? But see, he had this philosophy. He had to separate from everybody. I mean, because if he's divorced, he had committed adultery sometime in his past. So he had to separate from him. You know, I'm, I guarantee you there's fornicators that work at Food Lion and Walmart. And there's uh, covetous people, probably in the business you work with. So if you're going to separate from everybody that's, that's a sinner, a wicked sinner in this world, you're going to have to leave the world. No, separation doesn't have to do with our relationship with people out in the world. It has to do with our relationship with people in the church. See, it's a church issue. You see, he's not saying we can't eat with somebody out in the world. I mean, I, was, I remember talking to, uh, I think, Pastor Webb and Bobby Mitchell, and I'm trying to think there's another guy there, and we were talking about this very thing, and, and Pastor Bobby said, you know, he don't, he don't have any problems sitting down with a Lutheran preacher and having lunch. He said, we'll talk about spiritual things, and I try to help him. But he said, because he's not in my church. 
Now, I said, if there was a man in the church who was committing fornication, who had been disciplined, then I should not eat with him. I should not keep company with him. You know, we wouldn't keep, we wouldn't have, be best friends with somebody like that in the world anyway. We should have our best friends in the church. But, but see, th- this idea of separating and avoiding, in fact, the word avoid is used, and it means to shun, has to do with those who are brothers or sisters who are living in sin, who have been disciplined, that, we, that, that need to be dealt with. Again, let's, let's read on here. Verse 10. Let not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. Uh, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an adulterer, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one, no, not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do not ye judge them with our, that are within. See, we're to judge those that are within, not those that are without. So, again, it is a church issue. It is not a world issue. He is referring to church members that one needs to withdraw with. Again, verse 11. But now I have it written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an adulterer or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, no, not to eat. Uh, and of course we see this again in Second Thessalonians. So, so the church discipline is a church issue. Church discipline, secondly, uh, or letter B, Discipline should be exercised, again, according to the Word of God. There is a biblical process. There's a biblical process. Verses 3 through 5, he says, For I verily as absent body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with you, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now there is a there is a uh, process by which church discipline is exercised. Go to Matthew chapter eighteen and verse fifteen. Matthew eighteen and verse fifteen. <clears throat> Matthew eighteen. Verse 15, and this is what Jesus taught concerning church discipline, which agrees with the rest of the Bible and all the other places that, that uh, the Word of God addresses this issue. Matthew eighteen fifteen. Moreover, if thy brother, notice again, brother, shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his halt between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man or a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I 
in the midst of them. So, so here's the situation. Of course, this is, this is different than, a little different than the situation at Corinth. Corinth, it was commonly known. It was being practiced. It was a, a thing that had been continued for some time. But here he's talking about, you know, if a, if a brother sins against a brother, or a Christian against a Christian, uh, we're, to, we're to go to that one that's wronged us and, and confront them, and, and, and if they confess and make it right, that's as far as it needs to go. If it's not a public sin. It's as far as it needs to go. If they will not, then you take one or two witnesses with you. And again, you confront them, try to get them to make it right. And again, if they will, that's as far as it needs to go. If they will not, then you to bring that issue before the church. Publicly. But, you know, it's really talking about a sin between two Christians. This at Corinth was a public sin, so it has to be dealt with publicly. But the same principle would apply if the man was confronted about it. It's kind of, to me, it's rather obvious that he knew it was wrong. Paul said, I've judged already. Then it, but if, if it's brought to a person's attention and they refuse to repent, then the church needs to vote them out, to withdraw from them. Look also at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 14. Not verse, verse 8, I'm sorry. Titus 3, 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic, as one who's teaching error, or is an error, after the first and second admonition, reject. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. So he's to be approached, he's, he's teaching error, or in, in, in error, uh, a, a, a heresy is like an infection in the church. So he's to be confronted or approached about that, about his, uh, be admonished about it, and if he, if he will not repent, then he's to be rejected. Or voted out. Voted out. Admonish means to call attention to or rebuke or to warn. And so so again, this is this is how this is the process, the biblical process by which discipline is to be practiced. You just don't get up and say, uh, you need to leave. Now, there's a process, but it is a church practice. Secondly, I want you to notice the purpose of church discipline. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, again, verse 4 and 5. The two things here I want to notice. First of all, it is to correct an erring Christian. Verse 5. Verse 4 and 5. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved 
in the day of the Lord Jesus. So the purpose of church discipline is not to drive people away or just to vote somebody out of the church. We should never want to just run people off. Your church is a place where people can get help or should be helped or challenged to get right with the Lord. And so it is for correction, just as a parent would discipline their child to correct their way. Uh, if you notice here, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of Lord Jesus. Now, what I believe that Bible is teaching here is this. A church, the, a church is a place of protection. God has a hedge. In fact, he dwells in the midst. You know, Revelation 2 and 3 makes it very clearly, or chapter 1 there talks about that he walks in the midst of his candlesticks. And his candlesticks, we've noted from chapter 2, are his churches. So the Lord Jesus Christ walks in the midst of his churches. Matthew 1, uh, 18, 20 says, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. He's talking about a church. And so Jesus is in the midst of his churches. His authority is in the midst of his churches. And, and so his presence is there. It's a place of, it's an umbrella of protection, if you will. And so they were to vote this man out of the church to get him out from under that protection so Satan could afflict him. That he might repent. Because as long as they kept him in the church, you know what they were doing? They were protecting him in his sin. Just like many well-meaning parents encourage their children in their sin. By bailing them out of their problems many times. They enable them. That's not loving, that's hurtful. Sometimes love has to be hard. There has to be a balance. Remember what we talked about Thursday night? There has to be a balance with mercy and truth. There has to be a balance. And so this was, in fact, look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I should have told you to keep your place there because I'm going to be going back and forth to that passage quite a bit. In 2 Thessalonians 3, it, it makes this a little more clear in, uh, again, verse 10, For even when we were yet with you, we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. Again, notice, among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So they were, again, to note that man who would refuse to do what was right, get a a job, and they were to not have company with him, so he'd be ashamed of his conduct. Ashamed of. And they were to 
admonish him. Again, that means to warn of his error of his way. See, the idea really is, to, it says have no company with him, not be close friends with or cease to be close friends so they will be ashamed and repent. I remember a pastor that I've come to know said there was a family in his church who had a son. I think he was like 16 or 17. He was in the church youth group. He was, but he was becoming rebellious. And his parents came to the pastor and said, we want you to discipline our son. He was a church member. We want you to discipline our son. He said, how often do you have parents coming saying, asking you to discipline their children? He said, so we did. And he said, he wandered around in the world. I can't remember how long. Six months or a year. He said, you know, all his friends were in the youth group. And they didn't, you know, so he didn't have association with his friends anymore. He was kind of just wandering around by himself. You know where that boy is today? He's a pastor in Alaska. He was ashamed. It brought him to repentance. James chapter 5, verse 19. James chapter 5. Verse 19 and 20, and I believe this is again referring to this kind of thing. It says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. You know, all church discipline is to be carried out with an attitude of or of restoration in mind. Somebody said this, quote, church discipline is not a group of pious policemen out to catch a criminal. Rather, it is a group of broken-hearted brothers and sisters seeking to restore an erring member of the family. Unquote. You see, it ought to break our heart when we have to discipline somebody. Because it is to correct an erring erring brother. Secondly, the purpose of church discipline is also to remove evil from the church. Notice verse 7, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are in leaven. For even... Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And then verse 13, But let them are without God's judges. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. See, sin here is compared to leaven or an infectious disease which will affect the whole if not removed. You know, Paul, when Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, he talked about this, this idea of infection. 2 Timothy 2, 16 to 18, he says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Notice, they're going to increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, 
who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So sin is like a is like leaven. It it leavens the whole lump, and you ladies know what leaven does, or yeast does to bread. It 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 affects the whole lump of dough. And a, and a canker here is a gangrene. It's a disease by which any part of the body suffering from inflammation becomes so corrupted that unless a remedy be seasonably applied, it'll continually spread and attack other parts. And Paul's saying that these things, that the, the, this false doctrine or these profane and vain babblings, as he calls them, will eat like a canker. Is sin in the church, if left, wheat? In Revelation 20, chapter 2 and verse 20, speaking to the church at Thyatira, the Lord said, Thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, to teach and seduce my servants. Sufferest. In other words, you do not restrain. You let her go. You let her do it. You allowed it. And it infected the whole church. You know, the Corinthians Christians probably allowed this in the name of tolerance. One commentator said this about this, quote, they may have said something like this, look how loving we are. We accept this brother just as he is. Look how open-minded we are. We should never underestimate what people allow in the name of, quote, open-mindedness. You know, this was something that was not even named among the Gentiles, and yet they were allowing it in the church. And this is the fruit of following man's judgment. Who was justifying it? You see, this was the church that was arguing about who was following who. Oh, we're following Paul. We're following Apollos, and we're following Cephas, and we're the real spiritual ones, we're following Christ. You see, their focus was man-centered, not God-centered, and therefore they would justify whatever they thought, they thought was right. The Bible had already declared it sin. And it should have been enough, even that the world considered it sin, but they didn't seem to be bothered by it. In fact, it says that they were puffed up. Paul said, you are puffed up and have not rather mourn." And so, again, you know, the, the, the idea that they're following men and, and this evil... You know, this evil needed to be removed from the church. Then I want you to notice the third thing. Discipline is for the preservation of the gospel. Notice verses 7 and 8 again. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Let us keep, therefore let us keep the feast with, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, 
but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You know, the leaven that's mentioned here, according to, to one uh, commentator, is not merely yeast, but it's a pinch of dough left over from a previous batch. You know, some of you have made, um, I know there's a bread my wife made, I think some of the others maybe even when we were here. You, know, you, you keep a little bit left over from the, from the dough of the old batch and you carry it over in the new and you, start a, you, know, you, don't, really, you don't really ever start with from scratch. Oh, you can, but, 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 and, and, but it's carried over from one from the other. And that's, I believe, the idea here. It's like making sourdough bread. And so this was how bread was commonly leavened in the, in the old world. A little pinch of dough from an old lump could make a whole new lump, a whole lump, a new lump of dough rise and puff up. So in this way, the work of leaven was thought to illustrate the work of sin and pride. And there was, you know, the presence of a little can corrupt a large amount. So in this light, the Passover. Remember when when God told them to to kill the Passover lamb, they were to completely rid their houses of leaven. That means they had to start over with a new lump. They were to completely rid their houses of leaven. That also had a health purpose. Because if leaven used week after week increased the danger, you know, the same leaven would increase the danger of food poisoning. So every year they were to completely eradicate leaven out of their houses. And it says, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And I wonder, what? what? That didn't really seem to fit to me. But the Passover refers to the time when they were to completely eradicate leaven out of their houses. And Christ is our Passover. He's to get rid of, he's the one that works in our lives to get rid of sin. To get rid of sin in our life. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Someone has said, quote, you ought to live unleavened because you are unleavened. Be what you are is the basic message here. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not in sin, but from sin. Spurgeon said, quote, salvation is... In sin is not possible. It must always be salvation from sin. Now, God saves us where we are, but he saves us from our sin. We're no longer under the penalty of sin, and we're no longer under the power of sin. We can overcome sin. But to justify sin and leave it in the church is to say that we don't have power over it. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, God's grace is sufficient, right? So why? God forbid. You know, the idea here is perish the thought. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? 
Therefore we are buried with him in baptism and the death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness. There's that new lump, newness of life. For if we have been planned together in the likeness of his death, we should be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So our, our sins have been, we're saved from our sins. We're no longer under the penalty of sin, but we're also saved from our sins uh, or, or, or set free from sin. We don't have to serve sin. That's why Jesus came. Matthew one twenty one. Speaking of the Christ, you know, uh, the angel speaking to, to uh, Joseph said, She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Galatians 1.4, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. You know, so, so the message of the gospel is that we are saved from our sins, not in our sin. We don't have to live in our sin. It's a message of deliverance. That's what the power is, of deliverance from not only the penalty of sin, but the very power of sin. We can have victory over sin. And to overlook or to excuse or tolerate sin is to deny the power of God to transform our lives. It is to render the gospel ineffective and practically useless. Because you know what the, the world could have said to the church at Corinth? Why? You're just like us. You're just like us. You don't have victory over this either. That's what they could have said. That's what a lot of the world is saying to a lot of Christians. Because a lot of churches look just like the world. They do the same things. You see, that kind of thinking will leave a drunk drunk. The addict, an addict. The adulterer, adulterer. A sodomite without hope. And the pride, pride. And etc., etc. It renders the law of God useless. Because the law says, thou shalt not covet. The law says, thou shalt not steal. The law says, and if, if, if we can't, if we have a salvation that doesn't give us victory over these things, what good is it? See, the law demonstrates to us our guilt and our condemnation before God. But if we can live in sin and still be in the church, what good is the gospel? So without church discipline we will become infected by the morality standards of the world and will be rendered ineffective and useless. And the world will say, why? You're no different than us. I mean, 
talking to my sister just recently. I had a cousin who passed away. She had cancer. She was a Mennonite pastor's daughter. My sister said, I went to the funeral. She said, it was eerie. She said, I felt like I was in hell. That's what she said. It's dark, dreary. Felt like she's in a nightclub. I mean, that's what a lot of churches look like nowadays. That's what they call themselves anyway. You see, the gospel is the power of God to transform lives. That we don't live like the world. You're Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Christ died to save us from our sins, not in our sins. And church discipline is for the preservation of the purity of the gospel. It's what keeps a church testimony pure. I remember we had a guest preacher... I must close. One time we were in Maine after he'd been there a few years. And he's subject of church discipline to come up and he said, you're probably too young to have experienced church discipline. And I just kind of grinned. He said, I said, no, we've had it here six times. He said, six times? I said, yeah. But you know what? See, the church had lost its testimony in the world. The world had no respect for it. Because it was exercised, but it wasn't exercised properly. And then there were other things, certain things that were overlooked. But you see, the church had lost its effectiveness because of it had allowed sin in the church. So yes, church discipline, it is necessary, but it is for the correction of God's people, of an erring brother, and it's for the church. It's not out there. It's in here. Um, might God help us to understand the necessity of it